Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Hey, it's a week to Thanksgiving. Congressman Mark Pocan will be with us in just a moment, although he may have to leave about halfway through the show to vote. But we'll get to that in just a second. Also, let's stop calling January 6th an insurrection. This was an actual attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. That's treason, and it's properly called a coup. We'll get into that. And we've got a geeky science about how coffee and tea can save your brain. It's absolutely fascinating. But first, Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. He's a member and former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's on the Appropriations, Education, and Labor Committees in the U.S. House of Representatives. Pocan.house.gov is the website. Rep. Mark Pocan, the Twitter handle. And Congressman, uh, I, I understand you may have to leave to go vote, so we're, we're kind of ready for that. But thanks so much for joining us today. And the big headline over at the top of Drudge Report right now is that President Biden's approval ratings are slipping. It seems to me that the coverage of the economy has been extraordinarily one-sided. I'm curious your thoughts on what's going on here. Well, I, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons, many of which have nothing to do with Joe Biden. You know, I think one, and it's a really big one, is the issue of inflation, gas prices, food prices, et cetera. And, you know, um, there, there's a number of reasons, and I've had many economists now that we've talked to about this. You know, some of it has to do with the supply chain issue. In fact, most of the increases have to do with supply chain issues. You know, things were shut down during COVID. Uh, now demand has opened up and supply just can't keep up, and it's a, a way to raise prices in order to adjust to that. Uh, we know the shipping costs uh, for so many things that are made, unfortunately, overseas. Gasoline, uh, you saw the president did a letter the other day. We think uh, oil companies, big oil, is gouging people, taking advantage of the situation. But that's real. Everyone you know, sees that and is assuming that has something to do with the president when it really doesn't. Also, there's a little bit of a hangover, I think, on what happened in Afghanistan. While people agree with the decision to pull troops out of Afghanistan, I think some of the visuals towards the end, which we knew we were going to have, unfortunately, regardless, after 20 years of being there with a... a I guess the best you can say is a, a failed mission to begin with. That has had an impact on the president. But uh, we've passed his infrastructure bill. We'll be passing the Build Back Better Act. And that's where the American people are really going to see, I think, what the Biden administration is about. That's the tax cut for 40 million American families via the child tax cut. That's lowering costs for uh, American families via lower child care payments and prescription drug reduction and uh, extra care for seniors. Go down the list. There's so many things 
that are in that bill. And I think, you know, this is when the rubber will hit the road and people will start to realize that those things weren't necessarily directly related to Joe Biden. What we're doing right now is it's the president's agenda. We're getting it done as Democrats. And I think you're going to see that turn around pretty seriously. That's I you know, I sure hope you're right. So, Congressman, I, you know, I threw a, a very specific question at you to open up. I'm, I'm curious, just you know, more broadly speaking, what's on your mind? What, what, what is in front of you guys right now? Um, you, you mentioned that you think the Build Back Better will pass the House. That would be extraordinary. Do you think it'll pass the Senate? Or, you know, I mean, what can we do? Who should we be calling? What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, right now, I mean, I'd call your member of uh, the House of Representatives because uh, this vote will be. Uh, it's going to happen. Uh, I think we're in a good place on it, but uh, it never hurts to make those calls and let your voice be heard. And then uh, do that same with the Senate after we pass it. Uh, the good news, Tom, I did see today, Joe Manchin said he thinks he can do the bill this year. Remember, originally he was saying, oh, it can't happen this year. Um, not that I, I follow Joe Manchin's uh, updates daily, but I guess we have to these days. Uh, that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, if we can get this passed through the Senate as well, um, those there, there's so much in there for the average uh, family in the United States that it really will have a big impact. And especially if you have kids, um, you know, I've done the math on this, Tom. It, you know, for, you'll pay no more than 7% of your income on child care, uh, up to 250% uh, of the median income in your state. Uh, for many families, uh, someone we just, you know, actually hired at our own shop. I've done the math on this. Uh, they're going to save about $8,000 a year if they have a child in child care. Add on top of it the child tax cut, you're getting close to $1,000 a month of savings to the average uh, American family. That's money that can go to uh, vacations, that can go to savings for uh, education, college education, can go towards clothing. It's going to have a material effect on people's lives, and that's what's in the Build Back Better Act, and we make uh, those who are the wealthiest in those corporations that often don't pay their taxes pay for it. So it's a really great proposal, and that's what I'm spending uh, most of my time consumed by uh, getting this bill done. That's great. Uh, that's great. So let's pick up some phone calls here. Pam in Chicago, sure. you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, Congressman. I know your time may be limited, but I'd like your comments on uh, the center of our Representative Gosar and the behavior of your colleagues. We have to stop. They're behaving like thugs right now. So I don't see the Congress as a body of uh, intellects or distinguished members anymore. That has to be called out. Next, when you talk about, and I'll ask you this, Voting Rights Act, where are we on that? I'm not willing to uh, praise uh, cinema and mansion. You cannot continue to have these voter suppression laws and expect us to organize our way out of this or blame black people when we don't come out and vote in the numbers. Y'all can won because of racism. And so, I don't hear any talk about that in voter suppression. So, Pam, so let's where get, let's are get, we with voter suppression? Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, Pam, uh, great question. We censured, I think he's, what, the 14th person or so censured in, by Congress as a member of Congress and stripped of his committees for his actions. So uh, Representative Gosar is paying for his awful decision to have an anime where he's killing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and attacking the president. So hopefully that sends uh, somewhat of a message, although watching all the Republicans, with very few exceptions, defend him shows still how much uh, the Republican Party is no longer a political party, but merely a cult of Donald Trump. 
Secondly, on voting rights, I did have a great talk with John Sarbanes, who's one of our lead people in the House, on this just yesterday. And he thinks that Joe Manchin's bill, which is a strong bill in the Senate on voting rights, is in a good place in that Joe Manchin's realizing Republicans aren't serious about governing. They just want to oppose everything we do. And uh, I think Joe Manchin understands why we need to get this bill done. David in Ledwood, Missouri, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, thank you. Good morning, gentlemen. My suspicion is that prices are going up right now because a lot of the corporations and big companies are expecting to get taxed where they weren't taxed at all, or some of them getting taxed more for President Biden's plans and, and all these things going into place. I think they're anticipating these taxes. Thank you. Yeah, I, I actually think it's a little even more simple than that. I mean, part of it is truly the supply chain. And that is making things go up. If, if there's a scarcity of supply, they're going to charge more as a premium, especially if they can't produce as many goods. But part of it, honestly, is just corporate greed. They see a window to take advantage of this and raise prices, and they want to make more money. There's no question in my mind that's what the gasoline companies are doing. If you look at when gas prices really took a significant turn up, it was right after those weather events in Texas where they weren't ready for the cold weather and they didn't have their power grid properly um, uh, prepared and because of it there were some of the processing facilities the refineries uh, were down that's all done by now they're just taking advantage of the American people as a greedy corporation can so uh, I know you're trying to give them a rational reason I think it's even uh, a little more basic they're just trying to profit and make more money and they're taking advantage of everything along the way David in San Francisco you are on the Earth Congress in Pokemon. Well, thanks, uh, Tom and Congressman. Uh, I've been calling a lot of uh, agricultural radio stations lately and asking if they think that topsoil should be part of the infrastructure bill. And I think out of maybe 20 calls that I've done, only one hemmed at it. But uh, for the most part, they think that topsoil needs to be really protected, especially when you start looking at these massive uh, floods in the upper Midwest. You've seen Hurricane Ida run from uh, New Orleans to New York uh, with an enormous amount of washouts and, uh, and erosion. So uh, do you think that uh, agricultural states could be targeted, you know, taking away the red state status when you start adding protecting topsoil as part of the infrastructure bill? The next one. Yeah, David, I, so I agree with you that we should be protecting our topsoil, and that is an issue. Uh, that uh, we would be wise to be talking about. I think the, the the fact that the infrastructure bill has already passed and been signed into law and doesn't include that is going to be the place where I'd have to tell you, unfortunately, I don't think you're going to be able to redirect funds for broadband or roads and bridges now that the law has been passed to something like that. But you are uh, right that is a significant issue. But what about putting it in Build Back Better? I think that was his point in the next bill. Actually, he was saying the infrastructure bill, oh, okay. so Build Back Better, yeah. that, that's why I, I understood him correctly. But also, Build Back Better right now is kind of written as far as the House. Should something happen, perhaps in the Senate, maybe that would happen. I think our biggest worry we have is how much we may lose when it comes back from the Senate. And uh, Victor in Salem, Oregon, you're on the air with, Congress and po uh, with Representative Pocan. You know, what's the number one uh, thing we see on the news every day? It's violence, right-wing... Uh, terrorism we see the the court system are full of that violence people are really tired of that and how come the department of justice and the fbi can't seem to 
stop all this, all these death threats, etc. It's really worrisome as far as inflation that you've already explained that corporate greed, there is no such thing as inflation. So your question, Victor, is about the threat of right-wing violence. Congressman? Sure. Well, I mean, I think part of the problem, Victor, is, you know, Donald Trump for the last four years, all he did is foment that anger and hatred towards others, right? And uh, he did it from a far-right political bent, and Republicans are all a cult-like following uh, everything he does. So it, it's difficult, and that's part of why we did what we did. We censured a member of Congress for their actions. Also, I think it's important to note that a number of the people now are starting to get put into prison and jail uh, for their actions on January 6th, because I know, you know, a few weeks back, people are like, how come nothing's happening? Well, it's happening. You know, the court process isn't quick, but we're starting to see that as well, and hopefully that makes some signals. So I'm hoping, you know, that some of those things will help along the way. But, you know, unfortunately, Donald Trump repetitively every single day for a very long period of time put this into people's heads. It's hard to get that out. Uh, Tom, if I can mention one thing just to a previous caller mm -hmm. on soil, there is a very small amount in the infrastructure bill, $5 billion on soil conservation. So there is a little bit, but oh, in cool. the grand scheme of that bill, it's pretty small. That's great. Jeff in Fort Dodge, Iowa, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Yes, Congressman. Uh, last election cycle, um, we heard about uh, defund the police, and it really riddled uh, our Iowa Democrats, and I think a lot of them across the country. Right now, the big thing is gas prices, which you've kind of addressed, and grocery prices. And I think that's going to be the new Democratic uh, slam point, or Republican against the Democrats. Uh, we've got to get the message on food prices and gasoline. We've got to get ahead of this because they're just pounding us on that. Thank you. Yeah, Jeff, I completely agree with you. I think if there's one thing that's hurting Joe Biden more than anything, uh, it is uh, what is happening right now around inflation. And again, as I mentioned, you know, much of this is supply chain uh, related to everything opening up at once post-COVID. Uh, much of this is related to oil companies taking advantage of the situation, uh, as well as I think some other companies taking advantage of the situation. Um, but we have to get that information out there. The good news is uh, Build Back Better, actually, 17 Nobel uh, economists, Nobel-winning economists have said, will actually reduce, have a, a depressionary effect on inflation by getting it passed, and, and we're in the process of doing that. So, you know, I think it will be gone um, thanks to the actions that Joe Biden is taking. But I completely agree with you. It's one thing that people feel when they go to the grocery store, when they fill that tank of gas, and the Republicans are more than willing to lie about what's causing it. Uh, we have to get that counter message out there, and uh, we have to be doing it quickly and, and repeatedly. I agree with you completely. Congressman, we're getting close to this break. How are you doing on your time? You know, if uh, during the break, if I can put my earbuds in, I can keep doing it. If you don't mind hearing me pant a little uh, while we're walking <laughs> over there and I can if, vote and if, I'll try to go into the booth if, if you want. Otherwise, if, Tom, I can also uh, pop off. I'll do whatever you would like. Uh, I always love talking to your callers, but I, I just want you to know I, I will be puffing a little bit. No, that's great. If you'd like to do that, that would be wonderful, uh, you know, to, sure. to keep it going. So let's take one more call, and then we'll hit the Absolutely. break. And uh, that would be from Norma in Gary, Indiana, listening to WCPT. We're on the air with Representative Pocan. Thank you for taking my call, Tom, and hello, Representative 
Mark Potan. My question is this Build Back Better bill is super long where it's really difficult for me, like as an average citizen, to know really what's in this bill. You know, is there some place for me to look for it? Is there a good summary online somewhere? Yeah, there will be, I'm sure, once we pass it, especially because that's usually what they're making sure there aren't additional amendments or anything. However, uh, Norma, you know, this is on the White House already has. The way they explain it, I think, is the single best way, which I hear the music. Uh, so maybe when we come back, I'll give you the four easy points about it that I think really do explain the most significant benefits that are there. Great. Looking forward to that. It's the Tom Hartman program. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. For Congressman Pocan, takes your calls. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, welcome back. So, Representative Pocan, earbuds in, or are we? Earbuds are in. Okay. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> You're still with us. That, this is so cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Just you walking were, away. You were you were going to quickly recap the stuff that's in the Build Back Better bill on the other side of the break. If you want to do that right yeah, now. Yeah. So, so it was the first two things. So, yeah, let me start. Uh, the first is it's a tax cut for 40 million American families via the child tax cuts. That we did for COVID, but this is continuing it going forward. So that's going to be a big $300 per child or $250 per child, depending on the age, every month that'll help families get by. Second, it reduces costs for American families via things like the paying no more than 7% of your income for child care, the expansion of Medicare, it's the family and medical leave provisions, it's the help for seniors in care. It's a whole bunch of things that uh, people will see every single day uh, in their own lives. Third, it's gonna create a whole bunch of jobs and many of those are gonna be tackling climate change. There's $550 billion just to tackle climate change. And finally, it's paid for. People who make more than 400,000 in corporations who often haven't paid their fair share will be paying for it. That's the simple rundown on it. And I think, you know, some of those specific benefits for people uh, are what we're going to be talking about 
quite a bit, and we're going to do a lot of events, I think, in December to talk about those provisions. But it is pretty simple. Uh, it may be a big bill because of reconciliation, but the benefits are pretty simple to describe. Joseph in Manhattan Beach, California, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Thank you very much. Congressman, are you generally aware of the 14th Amendment, Section 3? I just, I think the most important thing that we have to do is end Trumpism, which means end Trump's hold on the GOP. And I kind of think it's easy, but no one says the right things. It's all about words. It says no person shall be a senator, rep in Congress, or elector, by vote for those secretaries of state, or hold any office under the United States who, having previously taken an oath, that's Donald Trump, shall have engaged in insurrection, that's Donald Trump, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. That's not only Donald Trump, that's a lot of people in Congress and close to Congress. It ends with a Congress made by a vote of two-thirds remove such disability. Guess what? Trump's not in Congress now. Why does anybody say he can, why doesn't the DOJ, why don't you say right now he cannot run for president? It's unconstitutional. I don't get it. Yeah, so uh, my, my good friend John Nichols has written quite a bit about this. I don't have a, a direct answer for you um, on it, but my friend has written quite a bit. I have to put a mask on, sorry, here as I'm walking, so it hopefully it doesn't sound too muffled. But that's the best I can tell you right now, Joseph. Yeah, it, it, I, I, require, I, I would think it would require either an act of Congress or some sort of, you know, court adjudication but anyhow uh jeff and that second part would be the most likely uh, there, there given you. the actual there, numbers we yeah have. there you go sydney in boston massachusetts you are on the air with congressman pokan hi what does this bill do for us single people no children you know we had this question on another week if you breathe the air or drink water the 550 billion dollars for climate change will certainly benefit you considerably if you need to uh, for medical reasons be able to take care of a loved one. I assume you have a mother or father, even if you're single, then you're going to have the family and medical leave in place to help you be able to do that. There's all kinds of provisions. So I think when people say, what's not, why don't I have something in it is the wrong response. The response should be, I'm glad that we're finally doing something for the average person. And there'll be a variety of things for a lot of different people that are there. Tom in North Hollywood, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. This is Tom Adler from gayandlesbianpages.com. But, Mark, I want to ask, what is in Build Back Better that is going to get money out of politics being the biggest issue that we have? And also, why is it that we don't talk more with our messaging that we are the party of FDR and continue to bring up FDR and everything that he did and how that's what we're doing with either Build Back Better or whatever it is that we are becoming back to our roots of FDR and the New Deal? Congressman? Congressman Pocan? I think. Sorry, Tom. Uh, it's okay. You, you, know, once you were voting? Here, going yeah. through metal detector. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> oh <man. laughs> So I'm voting and heading to where I can talk to you uh, legally here. Hang on one second. Sure. Um, all right. Uh, I heard Tom's question. So, uh, Tom, uh, again, oops, I think someone's booth who went to vote. This is always interesting here. Here we go. Um, so because of reconciliation, you can only do things of a fiscal nature, which means you can't do things like 
the PRO Act, uh, the labor provisions. You can't do things like campaign finance reform. You can't do voting rights uh, because they're not of a fiscal nature. Those are the rules uh, about how you can do it with a 50-vote or 51-vote majority as opposed to 60 votes, uh, and that's the main reason why. Okay. Let's see here. John in Chicago, you are on the air with Congressman Pokian. Yeah, this is John. I have a question. The folks from General, why are they not fighting him? Why are they not firing Louis DeJoy, Congressman? <laughs> well, I just had a talk this morning with some union folks over this issue. The post Board of Governors has the ability and the only ability to deal with Mr. DeJoy. If I had my provision, he would have been gone many, many months ago. The problem is we have to get to the point that I believe it might be this month we can appoint the Board of Governors that would have give us the majority to be able to deal with some of this. The problem is not every member of that Board of Governors, including appointed by Democrats, necessarily is in the view that he should go. So it's, there are a few steps that have to happen. It's nothing that Congress or the President can deal with, but I completely agree uh, there's no reason to keep the joy. Congressman, you are a warrior. You are such a fighter. <laughs> Thank you so much for going, take, taking this call all the way down to the floor of the House. Thank you. No worries. Thanks so much, Tom. Great talking with you. Congressman Mark Pocan, one of the great ones. Pocan.house.gov. You can reach him on the Internet. And, of course, you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Hi, for our book club today, we're reading from Bernie Sanders' book, Where We Go From Here, Two Years in the Resistance. This is from the introduction. During my campaign for president in 2016, I stated over and over again that the future of our country was dependent upon our willingness to make a political revolution. I stress the real change never occurs from the top down. It always happens from the bottom up. No real change in American history, not the labor movement, the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the gay rights movement, the environmental movement, or any other movement for social justice has ever succeeded without grassroots activism, without millions of people engaged in the struggle for justice. That's what I said when I ran for president. That's what I believe now. That's what I've been working to accomplish over the last several years. At a time of massive and growing income and wealth inequality, we need an unprecedented grassroots political movement to stand up to the greed of the billionaire class and the politicians they own. And the good news is we're making progress. People in every region of our country are standing up and fighting back. In state after state, they're also taking on establishment politicians who are more concerned about protecting their wealthy campaign contributors than they are with the needs of the middle class and the working people they're supposed to represent. We're making progress when millions of people in every state in the country take to the streets for the Women's March in opposition to Trump's reactionary agenda. We're making progress when an unprecedented grassroots movement elects a young African-American as mayor of Birmingham, Alabama. We're making progress when tens of thousands of Americans turn out at rallies and town hall meetings to successfully oppose the Republican effort to throw 32 million people off health insurance. We're making progress when governors and local officials announce in response to student demands tuition-free public colleges and universities. We're making progress when over the past two years, hundreds of first-time candidates of every conceivable background run for school board, city council, state legislature, and Congress, and many of them win. The good news is that the American people are far more united than the media would like us to believe. They get it. They know that over the past 40 years, despite a huge increase in worker productivity, the middle class has continued to shrink while the very rich have become very much richer. 
They know that for the first time in the modern history of the United States, our kids will likely have a lower living standard than us. The bad news is that instead of going forward together, demagogues like Trump win elections by dividing us. The bad news is that too many of us are getting angry at the wrong people. It was not an immigrant picking strawberries at $8 an hour who destroyed the economy in 2008. It was the greed and illegal behavior of Wall Street. It was not transgender people who threw millions of, of workers out on the street as factories were shut down all across the country. It was profitable multinational corporations in search of cheap labor abroad. Our job for the sake of our kids and grandchildren is to bring our people together around a progressive agenda. Are the majority of people in our country deeply concerned about the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality that we are experiencing? You bet they are. Do they believe that our campaign finance system is corrupt and enables the rich to buy elections? Overwhelmingly they do. Do they want to raise the minimum wage to a living wage and provide pay equity for women? Yes, they do. Do they think that the very rich and large corporations should pay more in taxes so that all of our kids can have free tuition at public universities and colleges? Yep. Do they believe that the United States should join every other major country and guarantee health care as a right? Yes, again. Do they believe climate change is real? you got to be kidding. Are they tired of the United States of America, the wealthiest country in the history of the world, falling apart at the seams with roads, bridges, water systems, wastewater plants, airports, rails, levees, and dams either failing or at risk of failing? Who isn't? Further, a majority of the American people want comprehensive immigration reform and a criminal justice system that is based on justice, not racism or mass incarceration. Today, what the American people want is not what they're getting. In fact, under Republican leadership in the House, Senate, and White House, they are getting exactly the opposite of what they want. The American people want a government that represents all of us. Instead, they're getting a government that represents the interests and extremist ideology of wealthy campaign contributors. They want environmental policies that combat climate change and pollution and that will allow our kids to live on a healthy and habitable planet. Instead, they're getting executive orders and legislation that push more fossil fuel production, more greenhouse gas emissions, and more pollution. They want a foreign policy that prioritizes peacemaking. Instead, they're getting increased military spending and growing hostility to our long-term democratic allies. They want a nation in which all people are treated with dignity and respect and where we continue our decades-long struggle to end discrimination based on race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, and nation of origin. Instead, they have a president who seeks to win political support by appealing to those very deep-seated prejudices. During the last several years, I've worked hard in Washington, but I've also traveled to 32 states in every region of our country. I've seen the beauty, strength, and courage of our people. I've also seen fear and despair. I've talked to people with life-threatening illnesses in West Virginia who worry about what will happen to them or their loved ones if they lose the health insurance that keeps them alive. I've talked to young immigrants, dreamers in Arizona, who are frightened to death about losing their legal status and being deported from the only country they have ever known. I talked to a single mom, a young single mom in Nevada, worried about how she can raise her daughter on $10.45 an hour. I talked to retirees and older workers in Kansas who are outraged that as a result of congressional legislation, they could lose up to 60% of the pensions they paid into and were promised as deferred compensation for a lifetime of hard work. Bernie Sanders, where we go from here. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, a couple of things I wanted to share with you. The first is our geeky science for the day. Uh, this is from Science Daily. Coffee, the headline, coffee and tea drinking may be associated with reduced rates of stroke and dementia. Which seems, you know, like you would think, okay, caffeine in coffee and tea raises your blood pressure slightly, but shouldn't that increase strokes? It turns out, no. Uh, strokes cause 10% of global deaths. This is a big problem, strokes. This is a study that was done in China, in Tianjin. Uh, 365,682 participants. They were recruited between 2006 and 2010 and then followed for a 10 year period from 2010 till 2020. Over 360,000 people. Throughout that period of time, a little over 5,000 of them developed dementia and a little over 10,000 of them had a stroke. So then they looked at the epidemiology of it. Let's look at the numbers. Well, it turns out that the people who drank two to three cups of coffee or three to five cups of tea every day, which seems to me like a lot. I mean, I drink one cup of coffee in the morning and that's it for the day. Uh, maybe a half a cup in the afternoon if I really need to juice myself to write my op-ed for the next day. But two to three cups of coffee a day, three to five cups of tea a day, or a combination of four to six cups of coffee and tea had the lowest incidence of stroke or dementia. Individuals who drank two to three cups of coffee or two to three cups of tea had a 32% lower risk of stroke and a 28% lower risk of dementia compared to those who drank neither coffee nor tea. It's remarkable. I would love to know the mechanism involved. Okay, and I mentioned to you also the Republicans are at it again. And so it begins. 19 Senate Republicans and 13 House Republicans voted for the so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill, which I think needs a new name. We need to take bipartisan out of it. But anyhow, uh, Congressman Gary Palmer of Alabama wins the distinction of being the very first. He voted against the bill. He campaigned against the, uh, against the bill. Back on November 6th, he said, our economy is struggling and our national debt already presents a serious national security threat, but the Democrats have shown they're willing to recklessly push through a bill that costs over a trillion dollars. Quack, 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 quack. It's a Green, deal, green New Deal wish list. Nine days later, he follows up, you know, another rant. And then he says, now this is, this is nine days later, it's another rant, but this time he's completely changed his tune. He says, the Appalachian Regional Commission has noted the completion will have an annual economic impact exceeding $2 billion in 10 years and has the potential to create 14,000 new jobs. This is the opportunity we have been working for as a region and as a state. But of course, he had not been working for as a member of Congress. 
In Arizona, Doug Ducey is doing the same thing. He's, he just announced $100 million in high-speed broadband investments, even though every single Republican in Congress voted against it. This came out of the, uh, you know, Save America bill. I forget what it was called. The American Rescue Plan that was passed back in June. These Republicans have no, no You're ethics. listening to the Tom Hartman program. And what's really bizarre is they'll probably get away with it. You know, because most Americans aren't paying that much attention and Fox News will never point it out. And that's where the Republican voters go. I just shared with you how, uh, what's his name here, uh, Gary Palmer of Arab Alabama, the Republican, is the uh, first Republican to claim credit for passing the uh, Biff legislation that he voted against. And uh, <laughs> if you go back to the American Rescue Plan, remember that? It was plan passed in June, as I recall. It was passed last summer, a few months ago. And it did all kinds of great stuff, right? You know, the child tax credit, and I mean, it was just a lot of great stuff in there. The Republicans so far who voted against it but have claimed credit for it include uh, Claudia Tenney, Beth Van Dyne, Andrew Garbarino, Madison Cawthorn, Doug LaMalfa, LaMalfa uh, one of the very first actually was uh, Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi. He, he, he was tweeting about it. Troy Balderson. Anthony Gonzalez, Diane Harshbarger, Jamie Herrera Butler, uh, Butler, Butler, whatever, Doug LaMalfa, I think I mentioned him, Nic Nicole Mal Maliotakis, Alex Mooney, Troy Nails, N-E-H-L-S, Claudia Tenney, Beth Van Dyne, I mentioned, and Lee Zeldin have all publicly taken credit for the American Rescue Plan that they worked against. It's just breathtaking. Mark in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Love your show. The um, electric car, I've had one since 2015. Mm -hmm. um, I've not paid for um, gas since then, and I've not paid for electricity since I got my solar panels in 2017. Wow. But I believe the electric car is an elitist device, and I'll explain you why if you give me a chance. Sure. The, um, the working class, if I'm a working class person, um, I live in an apartment, and even a lot of middle class people live in, in an apartment. You cannot run a cord and get residential rates from your house or apartment down to the parking lot where your car might be. Can't do it. Now, if I charge at a charging station, I'm paying four to five times your residential electricity rates here in Oregon, and that's about the equivalent of about a 25-mile-per-gallon uh, car. So 50 cents a kilowatt hour for a high-speed charge. Now, a high-speed charge takes, at the highest speed you can get, takes about 20 minutes to get 90 miles, or equivalently three to four gallons of gasoline. If it took... 20 minutes to pump three to four gallons of gasoline for everyone who drove a car, there would be riots in the street. Yeah, Mark, all of that is... The only reason I can buy and, and, and have an electric car now is because I bought my house 
1985 for one year's annual salary. I live in that same house today at my highest income in my life. The house is worth five times my annual salary. I could never afford it. Right, but you don't live in an apartment now. You live in a house. You've got solar panels. You're, you're, right. you're charging your car for free. Mark, I don't disagree with your, your premise that at this moment, for many people, an electric car be a long is, is an elitist infrastructure. Thing. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's, that's why Joe Biden is saying let's put a half a million charging stations yeah. out there, number one. But number two, I'm telling you, Mark, if you keep track, if you keep track, yes, they will. If you keep track of what's going on with charging, um, they, they, I, just, just last week it was announced that there's a new cable that can handle 500 amps of juice. I mean, I have, obviously this is, this is early development stuff, but I predict within exactly. two years, within two years, you are, go, you are going to see cars that will charge in the period of time that you would normally stop at a gas station. I predict it's going to happen within two years. And so this... You know, I, I think you can argue, you know, your, your argument that electric cars are elitist, sure. So were cars in the 1890s, the 1900s, and the 19-teens. But then they became normal for everybody. You know, what you're describing is actually, in, in marketing, it's, it's, it's called the, the marketing curve. You have the early adopters, Right, the people who are willing to take on a new technology and try something out. You know, the very first people to, to buy an iPhone, you know, with a little hard drive in it that half the time didn't work. And then you've got the early mass market, the, the, the people who will buy the first one that's really a good commercial product that can't, it comes out. You know, the, the, and then you've got the middle mass market, and then you've got the later mass market, and then you've got the late adopters. And electric cars are right now somewhere between early adopter and early mass market. In fact, they're rapidly becoming early mass market. They're going to become middle mass market within a relatively short period of time. So, you know, I get your, article, your, your premise. I don't disagree with it in principle. But I think you're completely overlooking the fact that we are in the midst of a, of a radical uh, transition in the United States. Dave in Del Mar, Maryland. Hey, Dave, what's up? Oh, hi, Tom. Hey, Dave. You just woke me, you just woke me up. I was taking a nap. <laughs> right. Sorry. Sorry. I fell asleep waiting. Uh, how are you out there? Are you affected by the floods any? What's your point, Dave? What did you, you call about? Okay. I wanted to talk about the book, book banning, book burning. Uh, I'm totally against it. Although we do have a backup. We do have a backup in the Internet and the young people as much as they are apprised of the internet they will get that information from the internet it's nothing but the truth if they want it i mean here's the, here's the problem a teacher can say you must read this book about harriet tubman and particularly sure. a white kid who may have no interest in 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 harriet tubman will read that book because it was assigned i don't think that same white kid who you know lives in a largely white bubble is going to be searching out literature on you know Harriet Tubman's life, unless he happens to watch the movie. True to some extent, Tom, but uh, young minds are inquisitive. Uh, are, are, do you agree with me? I do. Young minds are inquisitive. I do, but you know I think they're more likely to be looking for porn than to be looking for you know the the, the racial oh. history of America. 
It's, okay, maybe. But maybe I, you know I get your point, people. Dave. I, you know, no book burning is or banning is ever going to be completely effective. Mm-hmm. But what they, what these no. people are trying to do is they're trying to change what we're teaching in the schools. It's not I the agree. books so much that they're yep. going after; it's the teachers. They're trying to terrify yep. the teachers, and that yep. is a real problem. Dave, thank you for the call. Nancy in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind? Yeah, hi, Tom. Um, this is connected exactly to what you were just saying. Um, in my town, when I was listening to you say uh, about the uh, book that you read, the, the Jailbreak Out of History, mm-hmm. you mentioned one of the women you mentioned was Mary Daly. And um, I had been doing some research on where our schools in Elkhart got their name. And one of our schools happens to be Mary Daly. Huh. And I don't think anybody, hardly at all, knew that that was, I'm sure that's who that was named after. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, she was an American radical feminist. But she described herself as, and this is what I got when I looked online some time ago, and she described herself as a radical lesbian feminist. Whoa. Back in the day. <laughs> and, uh, Yes, and she was born in 1928, right. and she she actually graduated, and this is why I wrote this down, because I wanted to tell you that I don't even know. She had graduated, oh, she, she was born like in Schenectady or something, and um, she taught at the um, Boston College, and uh, she actually graduated from the Catholic University of America. Huh. And she was she was actually a they called her you know a forward philosopher and I don't think she's ever gotten any what any I go I guess you'd say any attention formal recognition but, as it were yeah and I really I thought just like you said you're not going to ban kids from learning things uh, being a teacher half the stuff I taught wasn't even out of books mm-hmm. but you can but terrify thought, teachers. <laughs> I, well, I think you can now, especially today. I, yeah. The way they dare, the way they terrify um, representatives. Yeah, and school boards. No, I mean, I, I think you know the, the the banning books is like the stuff that's visible. But what really, what these people who are trying to, you know, the Moms for Liberty types, um, really, what they're trying to do is they're trying to terrify teachers. They're trying to make sure that the racial history of America is not taught. Because they're very comfortable with white supremacy. They like white supremacy. Yeah. They like a system that is, you know, based in white supremacy and they yeah. and they want to hang on. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I gotta run Nancy. Nancy, thanks for the call. Uh, fascinating history, by the way. Mary Daly. It's the Tom Hartman program helping you win the water cooler wars. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. LaDonna in Ash Fork, Arizona. It says you're correcting something. What's up? Um, Biden didn't shut down Enbridge 3. Okay. He, what? Shut down the, he shut down the northern part of the Keystone. Oh, thank you. And, then, and so then they decided to put it across the top of the east, you know, the tar sands. That's what it is. Right. It's, so it's, it's running across sand. Canada. Yeah. yeah. No, it's running into America by a Canadian company. Right. It's running through the top of 
Indian land in America. Thank you for that. Thank you, LaDonna. Okay, yeah. You know, but, you know, you got on the other side the climate deniers, you know, the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And t- like 10 years ago, I said, you know, next they're going to say, oh, well, we believe in climate change, but it's not man-made. Well, I heard one the other day, a Republican saying, oh, well, we believe in climate change, but it's not man-made. You know, so they're just going to they're just going to run the world into the ground, you know, before they do anything. Oh, that's their plan. Take as much money as possible. You know, it's it's a psychopathology. It's uh, these people are. Yep. And I heard that the the gas prices are because uh, Biden called uh, Saudi Arabia and asked them to raise production and they won't. But Mm. they did every time when Trump called them because Trump loved, you know, Mr. Bonesaw. Yep. You know, it, it just makes me so angry, you know. Yeah. But I just wanted to correct that. I wish he had shut that down. Yeah. But he didn't. Well, thank you, LaDonna. It's going it's gonna, it's gonna to contribute a lot a lot to climate change. And yeah. I, he should have shut that down. But I'm sure that Trump is and the Canadian prime minister is the one that set that deal up. Yeah. You know, and then Biden came in. They They already had, they were already probably starting the, the operation by the time you got in there. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's a and it's a and it's a tough one for Justin Trudeau. Uh LaDonna, I gotta run, but thank you for the call. Kirk in Bremerton, Washington. Hey Kirk, what's on your mind? Hey Tom, as a former Tesla owner and a um Ford Lightning reservation holder, I can't wait for this uh electric revolution to kick into high gear. Is Um, the Ford Lightning the pickup truck? Yeah it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um it's gonna be cool. Um Brings me to Joe Manchin um, on the subject of union-made electric vehicles, and uh, he's telegraphing once again that once the House passes Build Back Better, he's going to do his best to tank it in the Senate. Yeah, I have this idea, and I wondered what you thought the feasibility of it was, and that would be maybe a public uh, pressure campaign to President Biden, who would then redirect that pressure to Chuck Schumer to pull Joe Manchin from his energy committee seat and replace him with Lisa Murkowski. Uh, she seems to be a person who's um, very desirable as kind of a political wild card right now. The Republican um, congressional or senatorial committee for 2022 is going very um, hard after her, uh, uh, trying to get her under their wing. And she's stood out a few times before. But would that even be possible? And if so, how would we pull it off? That's interesting. I would say broadly, yes, it's possible. What I don't know is, and I don't think anybody knows right now, outside of a small circle of people in Washington, D.C., is how amenable Lisa Murkowski may be to, like Angus King, you know, starting to, become, as an independent, to start caucusing with the Democrats, and how probable it is that Joe Manchin, if he were to lose his committee seats, would start caucusing with the Republicans, would declare himself an independent. Both of those things are possible. The probability of either one of them, though, I don't know. But it's interesting speculation. Thanks for the call. Jonathan Carl's got a new book out. And there's a little gem of data in that book that we didn't know before that I think is really worth focusing on and paying some serious attention to. And I'm guessing because this is kind of the kind of thing that 
you know, doesn't involve a person or a scandal or a, you know, a, you know, it, it doesn't bleed so it won't lead. It probably won't get much coverage in the American press. But I wanted to point it out to you. When the Capitol was attacked on January 6th, an attack that our media is increasingly calling a riot or even an insurrection. And those words have very specific meanings. They have broad meanings as well, but they, you know, they have very specific meanings, which don't involve overthrowing a government and don't involve treason. As we're hearing this, and we're hearing the media characterize these things this way, Jonathan Carl's book points out that the one office that was most severely damaged during that January 6th attack on our democracy was the parliamentarian's office. Now, why would a bunch of yahoos who are simply protesting because they think Trump won show up and rip the parliamentarian's office apart? Well, it turns out that's where the electoral college ballots were supposed to be held. One of the employees in the parliamentarian's office took those ballots with her and hid them someplace else. But the majority of these, of these people, or not the majority, but a, you know, a large number of these people knew exactly where to look. They knew exactly what they were looking for. This is a coup attempt. This was an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States with violence. We need to stop calling this a riot. We need to stop calling it an insurrection. This was an attempted coup. And what do you call attempted coups? Rehearsals. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Peril by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. This is from chapter 45, page 240. Pence, who arrived at the Capitol wearing a navy blue mask, had been presiding over the joint session of Congress when he was removed from the Senate floor at 2.13 p.m. by Secret Service agents. They moved him into the vice presidential office near the Senate on the second floor, where he was joined by his wife Karen and his daughter Charlotte, who had come with him to the Capitol. As word came that rioters were swarming the building and running through the hallways toward the Senate chamber, Tim Geibels, one of the Secret Service agents on his detail that day, told him he needed to move to a secure location downstairs near the vice president's motorcade. Once there, Geibels kept hearing more updates. The rioters were everywhere in the Capitol. No one was in control. I'm not leaving, Pence said. He knew the Secret Service would whisk him away if he stepped inside his vehicle. It would look like he was fleeing. We've got to go now, Geibel said, and suggested Pence sit in the vehicle. I'm not getting in, Pence said. He said he would stand there and make phone calls with the motorcade humming, ready to go if the crisis worsened. Pence sp spoke by phone with McConnell and other leaders who said they needed the National Guard to move faster. The Capitol needed to be secured. McConnell asked, where are the troops? I will call them and call you back, Pence said. Keith Kellogg in the West Wing as the riot unfolded noticed the president watching television in his private dining room next to the Oval Office. Images of the Capitol rioters were beginning to appear on the screen. They were not just wandering around inside the building. They were climbing walls, clashing with police, and screaming threats in the marble hallways. This was no longer a protest. It was being called an insurrection by lawmakers and others there. Holy crap, Kellogg thought. What's happening? As rioters stormed through the Capitol, many of them were checking their phones and keeping tabs on Trump. The crowds inside were swelling. More windows were broken. 
Trump tweeted at 2.24 p.m. He slammed Pence for not having, quote, the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, end quote. Kellogg went to see Trump in the president's dining room. He had just traded notes with Pence's team at the Capitol. Sir, the vice president is secure, Kellogg told Trump. Where is Mike? Trump asked. The Secret Service has him. They're down in the basement. They're okay, and he's not going to get in the vehicle. He knows, Kellogg said, that if they put your ass in the vehicle, they're going to take you somewhere. Mr. President, he added, you really should do a tweet on Capitol Hill. Nobody's carrying a TV on their shoulder. You need to get a tweet out real quick. Help control the crowd up there. This is way out of control. They're not going to be able to control this, sir. They're not prepared for it. Once a mob starts turning like that, you've lost it, he said. Yeah, Trump said. Trump blinked and kept watching television. Kellogg looked around and realized the West Wing was nearly empty. Meadows was in his office, but Trump was essentially alone. National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien was in Florida. Kushner was not there. Kellogg went to find Ivanka Trump. Police officers had weapons drawn inside the House of Representatives, pointed at the doors as protesters banged on the heavy wood, screaming loudly. Congressman Joe Neguse, a 36-year-old Democrat from Colorado, texted his wife, Andrea. She told him the mob was in Statuary Hall steps away. He told her he loved her, loved their daughter, everything would be fine. But Neguse and others around him crouched on the floor were not so sure. The chamber was in lockdown. Police told lawmakers to retrieve gas masks and shouted out instructions. Get down! Masks on! As members opened the gas mask packages, they made a blaring noise, a ringing. A cacophony of rings and yelling filled the House chamber. Prepare to take cover! Neguse could hear the rioters banging on the doors. Officers swept over to several groups of House members. Head out! Follow us! They were evacuated to a secure location. Paul Ryan, the former House Speaker, was alone at his home office in the Washington area. His television was on. He had a pile of work on his desk. These days he was on boards teaching Zoom calls. He eyed the screen. A riot? At the Capitol? He turned up the volume. He immediately recognized the faces of the Capitol police officers. Oh my God, he thought, I know these guys. Not just from his former detail, but from his decades as a staffer turned congressman beginning in 1992 and ended in 2018. He saw a bearded rioter take a plexiglass police shield and hoist it in the air, then smash it into a window of the Capitol. Glass shattered. Another smash, more shards. Another smash, the window was now broken open. Rioters roared menacingly and jumped up, then climbed inside. I assumed Trump's fight was an act, Ryan thought. Trump would have his rally and tell his supporters he didn't lose. It would be post-election spin. I didn't think it would go this far, but it was happening. He kept seeing the faces of cops he knew. It was hard to absorb. He called up friends who were House members and staffers. Some of them told him they were fending off rioters in stairwells. Statuary Hall, which he crossed 10 times a day as Speaker, was being overrun. I hope you're safe, Ryan told them. He said he felt guilty about not being there. Donald Trump fomented this. He revved them up, Ryan angrily told several friends. He sent them up there. He filled their heads with this. He chose to believe crackpot advisors. He should have listened to Pat Cipollone or Bill Barr, but instead he listens to Rudy Giuliani. Ryan sat down at his computer, typed out an email to a small group of Capitol Police officers. The book is Peril by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. Peril.
Norm in Tampa, Florida. Hey, Norm, what's up? Hey, how are you doing, Tom? Good. You know, I keep hearing this issue about critical race. What we suffer from in our elementary school is a lack of teaching critical science and math. And particularly critical civics is what they need to bring in these courses and stuff to get people to the level of graduate programs and stuff. Just ask these folks who are up, up and down about critical race. Wait a minute. Do you know the three branches of government? The critical math. Do you know what an isosceles triangle is? You know, these are the things that our country is failing. When I listen to these people, I think that one thing that the left can do or the progressive can do is say, in our Build Back Better program, we have designed it so that our schools will improve in terms of our facilities and our education, where we'll be teaching math and science and physics and civics in our school. Who's the head of the, the legislative branch? Do you know what the legislative branch is? They will know nothing. But the yeah. minute you put it, oh, good God, the race, oh, here they come now, you know, they're ready to go. The narrative can be changed by the folks on the progressives if they talk about what we're not teaching in our public schools, which is the basic science and math and civics. And that's I, I think, you know, and in the context of civics and history, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't understand civics without history. And you can't understand history without knowing the racial history of the United States, as well as all the other dimensions of the history of the United States. And so I would say all of that goes under the rubric of civics. And there are, you know, there are some people out there who are, uh, you know, really pushing for for civics, you know, better civics education in the United States. Ever since our nationwide civics curriculum was basically gutted by Bill Bennett, you know, back during the Reagan era. So, and they just want to get hung up on on, on, on race, which is an easy yeah. narrative to, 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 to push. Sure. No, it's and, it's and, it's and, it's just it's just meta for their their racism, basically. I mean, it's, it's really what's going on. Thanks so much, and thank you, Norm, for the call. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll be back at the same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 